In the United States, there are over 2 million people incarcerated. There are 15 states in America that do not have a population of 2 million people. Another sobering statistic, 77 million Americans have a criminal record. To put this number into perspective, this means that one out of every three adults in America has a criminal record that precludes their opportunities for education, employment, and housing. Now, to be fair, over the past several years, many organizations have attempted to step into this problem, and some progress has been made. But still today, over 70% of people who are released from prison will return within three years. However, there is a local organization that is having unparalleled success on a large scale. Over the past decade, Jumpstart has helped 3,500 men and women in South Carolina prisons while they were incarcerated and have assisted them as they've reintegrated into the community. Of these 3,500, less than 4% have returned to prison. This 96% success rate stands in stark contrast to the national rate of 70% who return. My name is Kerry Sanders, and I serve as the executive director of Jumpstart, a South Carolina-based Christian nonprofit that is changing the national narrative on what is possible for those who have been involved in the criminal justice system. Today, I want to share with you a little bit about the work of Jumpstart. Before I do that, I want to share a little bit about my story. In the third grade, my family moved here to Tigerville. Many of my childhood memories of my brothers and sisters and I playing sports outdoors. And more than a few of my memories are of us roaming the pastures in the woods near here, here near the campus with our grandfather listening to his stories. Most of them exaggerated but listening to him talk as we walked and explored. As I entered my adolescent years, I began getting into all kinds of trouble. Trouble for fighting, for stealing, for drugs, vandalism. If you can think of it, we were probably into it. By the age of 17, I had been arrested 17 different times. I had been in the Department of Juvenile Justice three different times. And I had a lot of people who tried to speak into my life, but I didn't care. Soon after my 17th birthday, I shot someone during an armed robbery in Greer. About a year later, I was apprehended in Canada as an international fugitive from justice. And was extradited back to the Greenville County Detention Center by the Department of Homeland Security. After I'd been there a little while, my public defender came to see me, and he said, Carrie, you deserve a life sentence, but maybe because of your age, we can get you off with 25 years. I said, sir, I'll never do that much time. He said, kid, how much do you want to bet? See, he didn't know the only thing I was thinking about was suicide. You see, I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in heaven. I didn't believe in hell. I hadn't been raised in church. My family was a good family, but we just didn't know about any of that stuff. So I thought my life was over. I might as well end it. And one night at about 2 in the morning, I was waiting on the guards to make their hourly round so I could hang myself. And a thought entered my mind. It said, Carrie, you've been wrong about so much. 
What if you're wrong about God? And I remembered that someone had given me a Bible that I didn't even want to be seen with, so I just took and put it under my mattress. And I remembered that Bible was under there, and I got it out and began to flip through it. And there was an article titled, How to Have a New Life in Christ. And as you can imagine, that caught my attention. And I began reading about how God had created the world good. But that sin had entered in, and like a disease, it had corrupted humanity from within. And it corrupted everyone individually, and it corrupted society as a whole. And this resonated with me because I had told myself over and over again, hey, I'm wasting my life, I need to turn over a new leaf. And then the next day I wouldn't care, I would do something crazy. I knew that there was no power within me to fix me. And the article went on to say that there was a solution to this problem. And it was through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way to have a relationship with him was to acknowledge the sins we had committed and to trust in Christ for salvation. And it was obvious I was a sinner in need of salvation. So in that moment, I surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord. Several months later, when I went to court, I didn't beg the judge for mercy or leniency. I knew that I had did something egregious and deserved to face the consequences for my actions. I can still remember the judge slamming down his gavel and sentencing me to 45 years. But thankfully, there was mercy in how my sentence was structured. I could be released after nine years of incarceration But if I got so much as a misdemeanor within my first five years of release, I would have to return to prison and serve the remaining sentence. For the next nine years, I served time in maximum security prisons, medium security prisons, and minimum custody facilities. And I learned lessons that you can't learn in a classroom. And I saw many things that aren't to be spoken of. But I was fortunate to have people from local churches across our state who come into those prisons to disciple us, who believe that we could have a future greater than our past because Jesus can change everything. And so for nine years, people helped me rethink what it meant to live life, what it meant to follow Jesus, how to walk with him, how to have a relationship with him. As I neared my release, I was in a program called Jumpstart. And there was a volunteer who asked me, he said, Kerry, what are you going to do when you get out of prison? And I said, sir, I'm going to go, you know, just get a job and work hard and save up. And maybe one day I can make enough to move out of my mom's house and have a place of my own and start a family. And he said, Kerry, there's nothing wrong in that. Hardworking is more honorable than stealing. He said, but I think you're settling for less than what God can do in your life. I think you need to go to college. And I thought he was senile. I said, sir, I said, my family doesn't have money for one college course, much less a college degree. And I don't, I'm not getting in on academics. I got a GED here in prison. I don't have any athletic ability. And he said, well, will you pray about it? I said, yes, sir, I'll pray about it. He came back the next week and asked me, he said, Kerry, have you been praying about it? And I didn't want to lie, so I said, no, sir. I haven't been praying about it. I don't think it's a possibility. 
He said, Kara, I have to ask you, the other week in our Jumpstart class, you talk, talk to us about how nothing is impossible with God, that he is sovereign, that he can work all things according to his will. I have to ask you, Carrie, do you really believe that? And I said, yes, sir, I believe it, but I don't believe in naming it and claiming it. I can't tell God I want to go to college and he's just going to work it out. He said, well, I can't guarantee you what God is going to do, but I can promise you he can open doors for you that no one else can and that you could never open for yourself. Another volunteer in there is here today, Cliff Floyd, the father of Stuart Floyd. He was coming in as a prison ministry volunteer and speaking encouragement into my life. And so through men like that and through women, people helped me believe I could have a future. Upon my release, I received the academic scholarship to come here in 2014. I worked in the IT department and finished up undergrad in 2017, got a master's in management and leadership from another university, and am now in the dissertation stage of a doctorate. I have a wife and two children, and I tell people all the time I'm living the dream, and I mean it. God has been so good to me. And as I have lived surrendered to him, he has exceeded my greatest expectations. So back to Jumpstart. Before I jump into what we do, I want to share a little bit about a few things we believe. We believe that with Christ, anyone's future can be greater than their past. We believe that because we know that Christ is sufficient to justify anyone and to transform anyone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That anyone means anyone. The state or society may label someone as a thief. They may label someone as an addict. They may label someone as a killer. But if they have placed their faith in Christ for salvation, they have been fully justified in God's sight. They are now redeemed, chosen, dearly beloved. They are God's child regardless of the label that has been put on them. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Another thing that we believe is that God is sufficient to transform anyone. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who works in believers to give them the desire and the power to obey him. So we know that God is able to transform anyone who comes to him by faith. Yes, individuals have to do their part. They have to practice spiritual disciplines, be a part of biblical community, replace the lies they believe with the truth of God's word. There's things we have to do to grow as a believer to be transformed. But God is able to do his part. The God that raises the dead can transform prisoners. So those are some of the things we believe. What do we do? We have a year-long discipleship program in 17 state prisons in South Carolina. About 1,000 men and women participate in our program every year. Each week, participants work through curriculum we've created that's helped them identify what led to their incarceration, teaches them how to follow Jesus and live out his purpose for their life, preparation for reentry. And then each week, they participate in small groups with volunteers who are coming in from the local community to help them learn to live out their faith. But this isn't jailhouse religion. We use an objective assessment tool that helps measure, are they really living out what they say they believe? Or are they just playing games? Are they just showing up to church? 
So they're actually being held accountable by one another and by the volunteers. For those who complete our inside program successfully, they're eligible for our transitional program in Spartanburg, South Carolina. We currently have capacity to serve 40 men and 10 women at any one time. We help participants with housing. They live in housing that we provide. We provide transportation to and from work. We have over 30 employment partners that are willing to hire them regardless of why they went to prison. Offer life skills training, mentoring, everything that is needed to help someone go from prisoner to productive citizen. I encourage you to look more into our work online and to reach out if that's something that interests you. Um, I know you all are thinking about serving this week. That's the topic. So now I want to transition a little bit as we close today and share with you some of the greatest lessons I've learned about serving that I think may be applicable to most of us in this room today. The first is to chase impact rather than income. Let me say that again. Chase impact rather than income. Chaplain Edmonston was uber-talented, extremely well-educated, and extremely well-connected. But he believed God had sent him into the prison as his mission field. And he served as the chaplain where I was at in a medium custody facility for three years. And he didn't just do the requirements of his job as a state chaplain. He took us under his wing and taught us. He encouraged us. He offered admonition as necessary. And I think most importantly, he loved us. He treated us for who we were in Christ. He didn't distance himself for us just because we wore a state prison uniform. In 2017, on his way to work, to his mission field, Chaplain Edmiston was killed in a car wreck. When they had his funeral a few days later in Clinton, South Carolina, there was literally not an open seat in the church. There was no room to move throughout the aisles. And as I looked around, there were people looking in the windows of this church from the outside. And there were people out the back of the church, out in the courtyard, looking in through the door because there was no room to sit down. His family led worship that morning. And as I looked around the room, I saw not just a handful, not just a dozen, but hundreds of men who Chaplain Christ had led to the Lord and learned to follow Jesus. He chased impact over income. Another individual who's chased impact over income is a fellow student of yours named Morgan Hines. Two summers ago, she chose to work as a non-paid intern with Jumpstart for the summer, helping interview and collect the stories of 30 individuals who had been incarcerated but were now thriving in the community. She interviewed them and helped us put their stories together into a book called Comeback Stories, A Prisoner No More. That book was given to every prisoner in the state of South Carolina, over 20,000 copies. Every prisoner in the Department of Juvenile Justice, over 1,000 copies. And over 30,000 copies have been purchased and given nationally to other prison systems throughout the United States. All of that was made possible in part because Morgan chose impact over income for one summer. I'm not saying you have to take a lifetime vow of poverty to serve God. I even know some lawyers who are faithful to the Lord. 
This is okay, all right. <laughs> but, right? But what I am challenging you to do is when you have to make a decision between income or impact, choose impact. Choose impact. The second encouragement I have for you is to choose courage over comfort. You all, in so many ways today, believers are siloed from the world. So many believers do not have a voice in the larger culture. And too often, a lot of believers are okay with that because they've worked out a little kingdom for themselves within Christianity. And it's uncomfortable to step into the world outside of that. So they're in an echo chamber, only sharing about Jesus with people who need to hear them are only sharing about Jesus on social media. But if they have to take a step across the street and engage someone who doesn't look like them, doesn't think like them, the people who may most need to hear about Jesus, it makes them uncomfortable so they just don't do it. I encourage you, choose courage over comfort. One quick story from here. The previous president summoned me to his office after I had been here only a couple of weeks. And you all, I had never been to the principal's office for anything good in my life, so I was worried, right? And as I sat in his office, he said, Kara, I want to hear your story from the beginning to the end. I said, oh boy, here we go. So I shared my story with him, and he said, Kerry, why aren't you out on campus sharing that story with others? And I said, well, sir, I can put myself in the shoes of a father who may have a child here, and he may be paying good money for his child to come here, and then he learns that someone's got a scholarship who just got out of prison. I said, I could see where that father may have a problem with that. He said, okay, that's okay, Carrie. I'm willing to be uncomfortable. Because if they don't understand that, then they don't understand the gospel. And that gives me the opportunity to engage them with the gospel. You all, he was a Barnabas to me in my life. He chose to be courageous and to take a stand for something he believed in rather than just be comfortable in his position, which would have been the easier route to take. I encourage you, choose courage over comfort. Speak up to someone who you know needs to hear about Jesus. If they don't like you for it, they probably don't like you already anyhow. You just go ahead and find out, right? But speak up and share with Jesus about them to them. Lastly, Choose today over tomorrow. Choose today over tomorrow. You all, all of us are guilty. Or I should say most of us are guilty of procrastinating. We put off some of the most important things in life, the most important conversations we need to have, thinking there's always time to get to it tomorrow. Many in this room are procrastinating with the opportunity God has given you here at North Greenville. I know enough students here to know that many only moan and grumble about the opportunity, the hard work they have to do at college. You all, 99% of the world would love to be at this university, having an opportunity at a higher education. Make the most of the opportunity. Choose today over tomorrow. Choose today over tomorrow to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to be who God's called me to be. Choose today over tomorrow to say, hey, I'm going to share about Jesus unashamedly because I know that he is the solution to the world's problems. He is the help for the hurting. Choose today over tomorrow to live all out for Jesus. You all, we have enough believers in the world playing games. We have enough believers who are talking the talk, but they aren't walking the walk. Choose today over tomorrow to get involved serving someone 
and for living for a purpose greater than yourselves. Choose today over tomorrow to let God be God to you. I pray the Lord would bless you and keep you, that his face would shine upon you and give you peace. Let me pray and you can be dismissed. Lord, I thank you for these students. I thank you for the work you're doing here at this university. Lord, I pray that you would continue to pour out your love into their hearts. And Lord, that your love and your truth would overflow from their lives. Lord, to be a powerful witness to bring your name glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.